time to wake up. It's Saturday morning. Find some milk and cereal. Grab a bowl and spoon. No, a bigger spoon. Head to the living room and take a seat on the floor. But Joseph and Chris present to you... Saturday Morning Cartoon! Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. This is a show where we plop down on the living room floor with a big bowl of cereal and watch all your favorite cartoons, both old and new. I'm Joseph. And I'm Chris. (laughs) (coughs) Sorry, I had something in my throat. I'm Chris. Today we finished up our spooktacular October when we watched... The Halloween Tree from 1993. This is going to be a little bit different of an episode because normally we watch a cartoon series and we'll watch three episodes of it and give our final review. And in this case, Halloween Tree is about an hour-long movie, so we'll just be reviewing that as a whole. And Chris, being a lot more familiar with it than I am, is going to really take the reins on this. I don't like rain. (laughs) To give you a little bit of background on the Halloween tree, I'm looking at some of the info on it. It was originally supposed to be a screenplay for some sort of animation with Ray Bradbury and Chuck Jones, and uh, that was around in 1967. That didn't pan out. Instead, it became a book that Ray Bradbury wrote, dubbed the Halloween tree. I believe that was done in 1972, and it centered around eight young boys dressed up on Halloween, and they kind of learned. Halloween from different cultures. This gets adapted as a cartoon in the 90s, which is what we watched, and it's a little different from the book. So instead of eight boys, we had um, three boys and a girl who kind of learn about Halloween through this creepy guy, Mr. Mountroud, while they're trying to save their friend Pip. Essentially, that's kind of the plot. There's just a lot of crazy stuff that goes along with it. And I can tell you that this was something that I remember watching on TV as a kid as some sort of Halloween special. I think it was just on any like random network. It was a Hanna-Barbera film, so kid-friendly, but much darker than you would expect, which is probably why it really stuck out for me. As far as my memories of this from when I was a kid, I remember basically the costumes that the kids are wearing. We had a skeleton, a monster, a mummy, and the girl was a witch. I remember the general plot, and I remember a few things that kind of creeped me out about it. The biggest thing I remember, and we'll explain it more as we kind of get into it, is the Halloween tree itself, which is literally a tree, but it's a very cool tree, and we will describe that as we get into the actual story. So those are my memories of it, and Joseph, you said that you had never seen this before. Had you even heard of it before? No, absolutely not. I knew nothing about this movie coming into it. In fact, the first time I'd even heard that, well, maybe when I was in Disneyland, I had seen something about the setup of it, but I didn't correlate it to the movie at all because I had no idea it even existed until you told me about it. So this was definitely my introduction to it as a whole. And I was pretty surprised. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, it was really cool. And like I said, it was written by Ray Bradbury, famous author. And for the cartoon, he also narrated it. And we also had the big main part of Mr. Mountroud was voiced by Leonard Nimoy. 
So that's really cool, especially since he passed earlier this year. It was kind of cool to hear his voice again, especially for something having to do with Halloween. And it was such a weird role and a weird voice for him to do. Yeah, to hear the late, great Leonard Nimoy, and he played the part really well. It didn't sound like him at all. Had it not shown his name on there, I wouldn't even have known at all. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed just by hearing the voice. Mount Trout is, he's an indescribable monster-looking guy, kind of like the Crypt King from Tales from the Crypt. Literally looks like a walking corpse. Yeah, it's weird. He's got kind of corpse-like features. Like, his skin's kind of greenish and shriveled. He's got purple bags around his eyes. But he's dressed kind of like a stereotypical Dracula sort of vampire figure. No discernible real monster or anything that I think he's supposed to represent. By the end, some of his goal towards the end of the movie, as it kind of unfurls, he seems more in line with what's supposed to be maybe like a Grim Reaper type figure. And that he's basically trying to take the soul of this kid, Pip. Not all of that really gets revealed right off the bat. Basically, the story starts out where these kids are getting ready for Halloween. They're all excited. They get their costumes and they go to meet in this specific place. And their friend Pip is not there. And Pip is supposed to be like the all-American boy who's like their group leader. He's good at everything. So they're like, okay, where's Pip at? They got to go find him. So they go to Pip's house and they see him being carted away in an ambulance they're kind of freaked out a little bit and he uh, left a note behind for him that saying that he had appendicitis he was going to the hospital go trick-or-treat without him basically from there they see what kind of looks like a translucent version of pip running through a forest and they follow it to this big creepy mansion thing and that is actually where we meet Mr. Mountroud. Right, right. Like you said, Pip was the, he was kind of the leader of the group, but Halloween was all, also his favorite holiday. And so the kids looked forward to having him along with them. So this was the start of this adventure that they go on, which just as a, as a quick side, I love adventure movies like this, especially where kids are kind of the de facto heroes. Right. And they're the ones who go on some perilous mission, very goonies like like very stand by me where it's just an adventure that they come out as better friends at the end and this is kind of how it unfurls yeah it's kind of like a spielberg movie in that kind of sense it's got that kind of feel but it's like they put a dark twist on it so to me it felt like this could easily be adapted as like a live action film and i could totally see some sort of collaboration between steven spielberg because it's got that kind of spirit to it but with like a tim burton dark dark kind of twist or even like a Guillermo del Toro touch to it. So some kind of collaboration between like Spielberg and one of those two, that's the best way to describe how this movie feels to me. So you've got that spirit of the younger, not quite teenager yet sort of kids getting into this adventure, but with a real dark, surreal kind of imagery. It was very cool in that way. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed that. And that might be one of my favorite parts about it. Just the look of everything. There's a lot of surreal imagery. Like I said, a lot of dark imagery, a lot of really subtle things too. Like you might see a shot of the moon every once in a while. And there's just the real faint look of a skull within the moon. Mm -hmm. And they don't draw a lot of attention to it. It's just kind of there and you don't always pick up on it. You might see like 
like some dark clouds at night that might look like a demon kind of face. So just little things like that that were just kind of sprinkled throughout the whole thing just made it that much cooler. One thing I did want to say about the animation is that the way it was drawn reminded me of a movie and that we saw all these scenes drawn like you were actually watching through a camera instead of just watching straight animation because they would have one of the characters jump over what would be the camera in that kind of angle or there would be animated shots of a field of grass or you can see it like kind of waving and that's in focus while the characters are kind of moving a little blurred out behind it and it just really made me feel like this was definitely thought of as a movie or something before just the way that they drew that because that's something I don't recall seeing in animation very much it definitely reminded me of more of like a live action than anything else the way it was drawn so I really appreciated that I thought that was really cool the way they did it yeah Ray Bradbury's words being put into film like that really especially with him as a narrator describing these scenes very vividly really lay out exactly what you're seeing in such a beautiful way and the Halloween tree especially the actual Halloween tree was just an amazing shot like that's always impressive to look at just this giant tree with branches going everywhere and like thousands of pumpkins just sitting up there right it's like this giant twisting tree with gnarled branches and twigs and stuff like that. I mean, just all twisting every which direction. So it's very sinister looking. And like you said, it's got thousands of jack-o'-lanterns hanging from it that are like glowing and just really creepy. Jack-o'-lanterns, excuse me, because they correct the kids too because they said a pumpkin tree. Yeah, they did. my bet. (laughs) They they go, go, oh, a pumpkin tree. And he goes, a Halloween tree. (laughs) In my apparently Bane voice over here. (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) It, I kind of turned Montrout into Bane from The Dark Knight Rises all of a sudden. <laughs> a Halloween tree, Batman. <laughs> I think let's describe the kids to them real quick because these kids are all dressed up in Halloween costumes as well. Yeah, we have Tom Skelton, which is awesome, dressed as a green skeleton. That was a great suit. That's something I would totally wear today even. We have Sally dressed as a witch. We have Wally dressed as a monster, like a hunchback monster. And then we have Ralph dressed as a mummy. Yep. And Ralph is a nerdy kid with glasses. And that's an important point because it comes up a little bit where other kids are making fun of him for his glasses. Right. Yeah, that'll kind of have something a little farther towards the end. It's interesting in that there's something about each kid that as they go through this kind of adventure, they come out of their shells a little more, they become a little braver, and there's specific things like that that kind of help contribute to saving their friend in the end. But we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. They end up at this mansion because they see the ghost Pip running that way, and they think it's just Pip playing a trick or something, and that he's not actually sick. So they try to track him down. They get there. Mountshroud is there talking to him. They're a little freaked out right now. They're trying to find out where Pip is. And then they see the ghost Pip scaling the Halloween tree, and he grabs hold of a jack-o'-lantern that looks a lot like him, and he snatches it to Mountshroud's dismay. He's not very happy that Pip stole his jack-o'-lantern. You know, with the whole the jack-o'-lantern looks like Pip thing. I I mean I could see the resemblance I guess because of the freckles maybe. That's pretty much the but only that's thing. really the only it's otherwise it's just a pumpkin. It's just a regular jack-o'-lantern. Right. It kind of has hair hairish features, but I don't know. That was just a, a weird thing for me. Yeah, they didn't draw it. Because the kids were just like, it looks just like him. Right. And, and it's, it's like, like, come like on, vaguely. kids. Yeah. <laughs> vaguely they, looks like him. You could see him in it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he gets it, he steals it, and he gets sucked through like a portal. 
and Montroud's not very happy about this. Yeah, and that's, you know what, the introduction of this scene was great because they do leave it really vague, but as an adult, you can really kind of understand what the concept is going to be of this just by the way that Montroud's describing it and by just the... the and just seeing him kind of uh, as a character, you really start to understand what he is. And especially more and more as you go through the story, it really lays out who he is and what the purpose of this movie actually is. Right. They kind of leave it, like you said, they leave it really vague, really ambiguous throughout a lot of the movie as far as what Mountroud's role is and what's actually happening to Pip. They don't straight up say what's wrong with Pip. You're just kind of slowly piecing things together as you go and there's no real defining hint as to what's happening you just slowly start figuring it out for yourself and it's pretty dark honestly especially for something for kids this is extremely dark yeah my first viewing of it when i started to piece together in my head what i thought it was going to be i was like i don't know if he's actually like dying and then that's a pretty mature subject or yeah. mature subject matter for kids to be approached with yeah, and that's and that's essentially what's happening is he's dying. The jack-o'-lantern that he steals is essentially like kind of representing his soul. Mm-hmm. And Montroud's basically claiming it. And Pip steals it and by stealing it and he goes through this portal and he's basically going back through time in different stages of Halloween throughout the ages to basically hide from Montroud. Essentially, trying to keep the jack-o'-lantern away from him is him trying to not succumb and have his soul basically claimed. Right, so he, he's fighting against death. He's basically trying to stay alive, trying to keep his soul by stealing a jack-o'-lantern and trying to escape. So, the kids don't really understand or know that this is what's going on, and they don't make that super obvious to the viewer. Like we said, you just kind of start piecing that out as you go. But this is where um, it gets really interesting going back in time through different various points of Halloween. So you kind of learn different things from different civilizations. Mount Trout is like, we got to get that jack-o'-lantern back and they want to save Pip. They don't really know that he's kind of working against them subtly. So they go together and they go through basically like a time kind of portal and they first end up in ancient Egypt and they're seeing all these spirits of the dead floating around just in the air in Egypt it was kind of creepy. Like, I vaguely remember that there was parts of this that creeped me out as a kid. And I vaguely remember the spirits and stuff like that. And definitely the um, corpse that's in the house oh, yeah. was really creepy. Yes, that was Feast of the Dead is what it was. And in ancient Egyptian times, it was where they would bring like an ancient relative who had been already mummified and put in a sarcophagus, they would bring him out and basically have a meal with that relative. And that's what we're seeing here. And it keeps doing this zoom in shot on this 60 something years dead grandfather. And he just looks super creepy and it's keeps zooming in on it. It's really making it, I guess, making you feel like the kids would when they're sitting there staring that thing in the face. Yeah. It's hideous. It's making you uncomfortable and it's like zooming in and it's really close to its mouth and you're just barely hearing like the sound of like air escaping its mouth. Yeah. And almost like a really, really soft whispery groan and it just, man, it just creeps you out. You're just like, oh my God. So the kids are freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're freaking out a little bit too. Yeah, we were too. 
So basically, they're looking for Pip. He's hiding somewhere in a corner, escapes again, gets into like a pyramid, basically, and they go in after it. And that's where they start to learn about the whole mummy thing, because Ralph is dressed as a mummy. One of the things that Mount Shroud is kind of like pounding into them is that they're just these things, these creatures, but they don't actually understand what they represent or where they came from. So he's kind of calling them out and saying, you're dressed like this, you don't even know why. So basically, essentially calling them all posers <laughs> for not yeah, understanding. Pretty much. So he's kind of letting them stumble into these situations where they're learning the real meaning behind stuff. So they kind of learn why the ancient Egyptians did what they did, like how, where the mummies came from, why they wrapped them up. And I thought it was interesting that they did walk us through this. It was like a, a history lesson. It was almost like an anthology movie too because of how segmented it was because we did have just traveling through these different times with the wraparound story being chasing Pip down who's running with his soul and he just happens to be running through these different periods of celebrations of the Halloween season and that's a really interesting way to tell a story and a great approach I thought. Yeah, it was really cool. And then in each one of these segments, too, each one of these time periods and civilizations, once you get towards the end of that lesson, if that's what you want to call it, there's always an instance where Pip is trapped in some way, and the kid that's associated with that period has to do something themselves to save him. So in this case, Ralph, who is the mummy, he's kind of the nerdy one, a lot more timid and kind of scared. He has to step up and basically like Pip's trapped in like a sarcophagus and these Egyptians are basically taking him away. He kind of has to step up and like help Pip escape and he's scared, but he still does it. And it ends up with them having to, like, climb this pyramid once Pip is released from the sarcophagus. He gets on top of this pyramid, and Ralph is, like, trying to scale it to get to him. They're, like, facing their fears each time Mm -hmm. to try to um, save their friend. So they're kind of growing a little bit every time that they're faced with one of these challenges. Yeah, it's a very layered movie in that way. There's a lot of different things it has going on for it. They really make it a, a strong movie for kids and adults. Yeah. So from there, Pip spins his little jack lantern and gets sucked into a portal again, and they have to chase after him one more time. This time they end up in, like, the medieval times, and they're seeing, like, medieval villages and castles and stuff like that. Stonehenge. They had a couple different kinds of lessons in this one, and one that I did not remember that I thought was very interesting was about where, like, the black cats kind of played into Halloween. Were they believed in the Dark Ages that the dead turned into animals on, like, I think one night of the year? It was basically like, their Halloween was also their New Year's Eve. And at this time, the dead basically crossed back over and became beasts and primarily cats. And they described the cats as being black as night. So there's where the black cats kind of came into the whole Halloween tradition. Mm -hmm. So for a second, it has Pip, his shadow's kind of running along Stonehenge while they're there and morphs into like a crazy black cat monster thing. Yeah. The next part they pick up in with the Dark Ages is the Broom Festival. Yeah. And that's directly ties in with Jenny's character since she is the witch. So it's showing the whole broom festival and it's showing witches as they were believed to be these, you know, magic users practicing the dark arts. But what I thought was really good about this movie, even though there is all kinds of magical things and time travel and whatnot going on, is they really, they keep it level when describing the witches and when sticking to these stories, they don't embellish it 
too much. So when the kids ask Mountain Shroud about witches and if they had powers or if they used magic, he's just like, no. <laughs> I like that part too. It's really humorous just how he's just very upfront about everything. They're like, oh, did they do magic? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, could witches they just could do nothing? Yeah. They're like, could they curse spells? No. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to my knowledge. Right. Like, things like that. Yeah, and, yeah. And it's just was explaining to them really the origin of the name witches in general is because they were intelligent. They were, they had their, you know, their wits about them. And this was kind of interesting too, is then they kind of showed these witches in kind of like a, a village, you know, hanging out, doing their witchy things. And then all these townspeople show up and just start burning the place to the ground. Before they did that, they were flying around on brooms and stuff like that, having fun. So they were kind of exploring the fun, goofy side of what witches were believed to be. How we think of witches now on Halloween is flying broomsticks, you know, things like that. They kind of showed the fun side, but then they showed the reality of it. And the real dark part is that, you know, these witches were being killed and burned alive. Like, they didn't show any witches being burned alive, but they had the villagers burning down their homes and they're running for their lives, scared. Right. It, it was, like, implied. Right. So they just kind of, they didn't shy away from the truth there that, yeah, because of these beliefs, because other people were ignorant about what they were really doing, these people pretty much pay the ultimate price just for being who they are. I thought that was interesting that they didn't shy away from it. They were just very upfront. Right. And this was, as we said before, Jenny's portion of the story. So her task to help save Pip is to learn how to essentially gain confidence in riding the broom in the way that she would ride a bike. And so she has to lead the pack because the rest of the kids get the broomsticks as well. And then they chase Pip down to the next destination, which is to Notre Dame Cathedral. And what we're seeing at first is just, you know, the um, just a barren cathedral that's broken down and it's just in shambles or it's, it's being built up, but it's not quite there yet. Yeah, it starts being built as the kids are there and kind of running along parts of it. It starts coming together as Which they run. Which was a really interesting scene. I really liked that one. It was very cool. They had a lot of really epic, beautiful like music playing with it that just made it really ethereal and atmospheric. And it was just really cool. It was a very cool scene. And here was the first part where you really start to see something very sinister about Mound Shroud in that he cannot enter that cathedral. Right. He starts to step foot on it and he backs off because he can't get near sacred grounds. Basically, yeah. And I think the kids kind of started to pick up on it too because... He's so hell-bent on getting that jack-o'-lantern back from Pip. So when they start to enter the cathedral, because Pip's running in there, they kind of turn around because he, he stepped forward and then steps back quickly and kind of covers his face. And they're kind of like, you know, you want this jack-o'-lantern, like, kind of, what's your deal? Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't you coming? And he basically says something to the effect of, there's some places that even I can't go, something right. like that. So then you, you kind of start to think that he's there's something very sinister, kind of dark or demonic about him in that he can't enter a place like that. So Yeah, exactly. And this ends up being Wally's story in the sense that he is dressed up like a monster, and so we get these lessons about gargoyles and the representation of monsters and what they are to our culture, to our society. What's interesting, I like the way that even though Wally had been dressed up like a monster previously, everyone loses their mask at some point during these travels. And without his mask, he's essentially just the hunchback of Notre Dame. And when he's on that tower with the gargoyles, that's really the scene that we see laid out. Mm-hmm. 
and I like how they did it too. They basically, the way Mountshroud described it, like after the cathedral's built, he still can't go inside, but he could fly up on top of it. So he's up there and he's talking to them and explaining the gargoyles and basically describes them as a reminder of all the dark things in our world and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it just shows all these really creepy shadows coming out of the forest and out of houses and stuff like that. They become like this giant reaching shadow that goes up to the cathedral and then starts forming gargoyles all over the place. And I thought that was a really, really cool way to represent it as basically you're seeing all the the things in the dark places in the night that scare us, like almost the things like in the shadows and basically in our imaginations that would frighten us. They set it up on this cathedral as a reminder of basically what we fear. Right. So that was a really cool thing. What was Wally's lesson in this? <laughs> I'm not really sure. Yeah. He was, well, he was kind of the, the more scaredy astonished kid through the entire thing yeah with oh my gosh oh every my gosh. every line of his oh my gosh <laughs> you know that's that's a good point so i bet that's what it was was to not be afraid of everything really to kind of face your fears and he's the one who had to call the monsters call the gargoyles in mm-hmm. and that led to a great scene actually after this portion of the story where they're all riding like gargoyle mounts so it's yeah. pretty neat Pip basically becomes trapped as a gargoyle. He basically becomes a fountain kind of gargoyle on the side of the cathedral with water shooting out of his mouth and he's holding the jack lantern and he's made a stone. Wally is like climbing up the side of this cathedral to try to get to him and the jack o' lantern and he grabs the jack o' lantern and then this is the first time that Pip says, I think I'm dying. You're kind of clued in to what this really is, is this whole thing is that Pip is slowly dying. He's slowly losing his soul. It's kind of a a revelation to the kids because I don't think they caught on until now. And then Wally's like, you can kind of see the realization on his face, the way they animated it. And Wally's like determined to not let Pip die. So he grabs that stone jack-o'-lantern that Pip's holding and kind of breaks it off the side. And it starts to plummet and that releases Pip from the cathedral. And he flies down, grabs the now regular jack-o'-lantern again and disappears one more time. And then that's when they mount the other gargoyles and they move on to the next part. The next part is Tom Skelton's portion, which is taking us to Mexico for the Day of the Dead. This was my favorite part as a kid, getting into the Day of the Dead stuff, because I'm just enamored with that kind of culture, with like the celebration aspect of it all, the imagery of sugar skulls, things like that. Mm -hmm. I love that stuff. So that was something that stuck with me ever since I saw this when I was a kid. So I was really happy to revisit this part and see it again. It was interesting walking through this one because the Day of the Dead is celebration of the dead and honoring them as opposed to fearing it which is part of tom's lesson here as opposed to fearing death facing it eye to eye so that it loses power and can't scare us essentially is what tom takes away from this right so basically they get there they see kids running around with their faces painted like skulls or they're wearing masks it's just a big celebration they're selling sugar skulls people are making wooden coffins it's just a fun time everybody's just having a blast there's like some little magical pinatas that start floating around the kids are like beating them that was cool (laughs) all the pinatas looked like what the kids are dressed up as except one of them mound shroud turned into a pinata that looked like him a kid breaks it 
and then all these bats go flying out of yeah. it, which was really cool. That was a good scene. Once again, they're showing the fun side of stuff, but then they get taken to the more grim side where Mountshaw takes them to like a crypt and they have to go into some catacombs and he's saying, the fun ends here. Mm-hmm. We got to get down to business sort of thing. Pip is trapped in these catacombs in these like spider webs and stuff and there's this long tunnel of all these dead they call them mummies but they essentially are like zombies right so it's all these corpses lining these catacombs and as tom starts walking through they start coming to life and reaching for him and he's afraid and like you said a second ago it's basically this part is about these kids facing death and facing the fear of death which is a really really mature topic for kids so this was something that i really appreciated and that i think it really handled the topic of death really well for children. It introduces it in as fun of a fashion as you can introduce a topic like that. I think really helps kids to understand it better and maybe rationalize it more after being taught these lessons through the stories that were given. Right. So basically, Tom faces death by running through all of the zombies that are grabbing him, stuff like that, and they fall apart as he kind of gets through them. And he reaches Pip, he finally gets to him, but then Pip just kind of crumbles into dust. Then the jack-o'-lantern reforms in Mountroud's hands. So he kind of cheats them in that Tom thought he was saving Pip by reaching him. Mountroud basically tricked him, got the jack-o'-lantern, and essentially took Pip's soul. This was the darkest part of the whole thing. One thing that I forgot about and really surprised me is that to save Pip's life, the kids volunteered giving up years off of their lives. They each give a year off of the end of their life to save Pips now, which was a lot darker than I thought yeah, it was going to be. Extremely and grim. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and just a, a grim thought even now. So I don't know what age necessarily this is appropriate for. I mean, obviously, it's nothing that's too outlandish. There's not blood or anything. It's not right. scary like that. But it's just a subject matter that's handling. I think most kids can handle it, but right. a, there's probably a limit on who you want to introduce this to. It's one of those things that. Dude, like I remember it now as a kid. Like I said, I didn't remember it at the time and after watching it, seeing it happen, I remember that and remember that being something that stuck with me and something that made me uneasy as a kid. I think it was the first time that I really thought about death as a kid because I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're volunteering to die sooner to save their friend. And the, yeah. the thought of that as a kid is kind of scary. Those are some great friends, though. Yeah. I, I don't know if any of my friends would do that for me, personally. <laughs> yeah, not me. No, <laughs> <I'm kidding>. uh, <laughs> we'll see. If we ever meet Mount Shroud, you'll know. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> so, it's really grim, but in a way, it's kind of a noble thing for kids to see this in that they're introducing the idea of death, but then they're also introducing the idea of sacrificing yourself for somebody else. And that's what I thought Tom was going to do at first, was offer his life, his life. for Pips. So I was yeah. like, no way. And then I was like, okay, so they brokered a deal with him because he's the Grim Reaper, so he's a yeah. businessman of death. When someone's rent's due and they can't pay up, he keeps saying they have to pay with their lives. Yeah, And so this was a four-for-one deal is what they give Mountroud for Pip's life. And he accepts it, but really warns them, like, think hard about what you're doing because it may not be a big deal now, but you may regret this later. Right, yeah. He specifically says something about, think about it when you're 50, 60 years old, as you get closer to death, you know, remember that you're going to live one year less than you would have 
Mm-hmm. So he's really trying to get them to think about it, but they all, not only willingly, they're all like super excited about yeah. it. Like, well, he's like, yeah, me too. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah, like, it's like, it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. It seemed like he was going to accept just Tom's, but then everybody else starts pitching in. Yeah. It's like, come on, kid, you probably could have gotten away. Jenny like steps up right off the bat after Tom does. And is like, I'll do it. And Ralph's like me. And well, he's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you realize you're just going, yeah, about dying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you just lost a year off your life. Oh my gosh. Of course, I'm pretty sure that every time I eat hard salami or something, I'm probably losing some time off my life too. So. Yeah. But <laughs> and I'm pretty excited about that. About salami, sure. Yeah. Who isn't? <laughs> uh, okay. So that's essentially kind of the end. Mountchild takes him back. They get back to Pip's house, and he's there, and he's okay. He's in his room. He had his appendix taken out. And he's recovering and he's all right. He thanks them, the other kids, and says, you know, I had this crazy dream about pyramids and all this other stuff. Basically relating everything that they just went through was almost like a dream of his. But he essentially knows that it wasn't and knows what they sacrificed for him and was basically thanking them. And the kids are kind of playing it off like, you know, no, nothing really happened. But then they all start like crying. Yeah. So it it was kind of a cool moment. Yeah. To yeah. see their friend alive and well. Unless, you know, they're realizing, oh, crap, we just <laughs> we just gave oh, up a my, life. Yeah. And now seeing him again, like, yeah, maybe it wasn't worth it. That just makes it. it more real. Now they're sad. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll take it as it was the happy tears. Right, but. of course. So then they just kind of disperse, and Mountain Shroud, it shows him back at his mansion, and he starts to disappear. The jack-o'-lanterns from the Halloween tree kind of shoot up into the air and disappear and everything, and the sun starts to rise, and everything is kind of continuing as life as normal, and that's pretty much the end of the story. All right, so I think it's a good time for our younger selves to come out, give their opinions on this movie, and tell us what they thought overall. All right, let's bring out the kids. I really liked this cartoon movie, and it was really scary, but I really like Halloween, and I like all the monsters, and there's lots of monsters and witches and mummies and things, but Mount Shroud is kind of a jerk, and I don't trust him, and he's kind of mean, and he was trying to kill people, and that's not nice, but trick-or-treating is fun because there's candy, and I like the jack lanterns and I like the Halloween tree, but I'm really scared, and I probably wouldn't die from my friends because some of them are mean, they pick on me. But I really do like this cartoon, and I will give it three really spooky bowls of cereal out of three. Joseph, what did you think? Very insightful, Chris. For me personally, this movie really helped to dissect the topic of facing the fear of death while under the guise of a Halloween movie. I very much appreciated that Halloween Tree did not shy away from a subject matter that would generally be deemed too serious for children. The Halloween set dressings were just icing on this pumpkin-flavored cake. Overall, I would definitely give this movie three big bowls of Count Chocula out of three. Well said, younger asses. Except really for mine, he's kind of a moron, but he tries. He tries. Yeah, mine thinks he's smarter than he really is, but that's okay. (laughs) He'll learn one day. He'll learn. Anyway, folks, it looks like our milk supply has now run dry, so it's time for us to say goodbye. So this is the conclusion of our Halloween Spook Fest. Hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we continue with our regularly scheduled programming when we watch... Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling! And once again, I'm Joseph. And I'm Chris. And we'll see you next Saturday. Thanks everyone for listening. If you like what you heard, please give us a 5-star rating on iTunes. Definitely reach out and let us know what cartoon you'd like us to cover, along with some of your favorite episodes so we can feature them on our show. You can make a request, see the current request list, or speak with the show host by visiting the Cartoon Boom subreddit. You can also connect with our network by visiting nerdsloth.com or searching for Nerdsloth on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. 
See you next Saturday.